welcome back to the Dad in a Rock podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, special Father's Day edition. We're recording on Father's Day 2020. hate to mention the year, but <laughs> that's just where we are. Um, happy Father's Day to you, sir. Anything special going on today? Uh, I mean, we didn't do a whole lot per se for me. Uh, if you're following us on you know, Twitter and everything and Facebook, you can see that my son Zach actually had his first races uh, with his new BMX kind of hobby. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that that was that was an adventure. We would literally do. We were out of the car for not even five minutes. I got his bike out. I told him to leave his helmet in the van because he's going to be borrowing one of the full face ones because he needs a full face um, helmet. Right. So he gets on his bike and he never does this at home. He turns and then falls on his face. Oh, no. <laughs> no helmet, nothing. So now he's got his welt on his forehead. And then he hurt his finger, and I'm like, dude, we were, we've barely been here for five minutes, and you you weren't even on the track and got hurt. Yeah, that was that was interesting. I had to talk to some of the parents. You got them registered. We found out that it's $10 a race, but there's a membership fee you pay. Today, it was only $10. You got like a one-day membership, uh, but it's like 60 bucks for the year, mm-hmm. and then 10 bucks weekly. And then he can basically race anywhere he wants to race at whatever fee that track has. How do you do in his first race? Well, the first race was fun because he's up there on the gate. He's never outside the practice. He's never been on the hydraulic gate where it's like um, riders ready, watch the gate, and then the hydraulic gate falls. Yeah. And then he goes. So he's up there, and he's in this, uh, what they called Moto 3. So they put him up against another 7-year-old and an 8-year-old. So there's only three kids in his actual group. It was another girl and another boy. So it was just three of them. Mm-hmm. So he's going, and he's, like you'd expect, he's he's behind uh, a decent amount. Not far, but a decent amount. And then coming down one of the home stretches, the two riders in front of him wreck. Oh, no. So he's now pedaling, and he passes both of them. Literally, he had one turn and a straightaway, and he would have won his very first race. <laughs> that would have been great. It would have been great. <laughs> <laughs> so when he's going... He passes him, and I think he looks over his shoulder, and then he wipes out. Oh, no. So he then wrecks, and then, you know, he finishes third. But, I mean, he and you can see he's discouraged at the end of the race. Yeah. Because he had the race won, and then that happened. So I was trying to get him, you know, excited about it. He's not used to not being good at something. Right. And the bike that he is on isn't making this any easier on him, really. Yeah. Uh, everyone else has got these, like, BMX bikes that are built for racing and everything, and he's on you know a mongoose. It's it's heavy compared. I mean, I can almost lift some of these other kids' bikes up with like two fingers. Aluminum frames. Didn't you just get him this bike recently too? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I was like, I was talking to these other parents, and they're like, you know what? Don't buy him a new bike. They didn't buy his, right. their their son a bike until he did it for a year. I see. So they told me a few things we can do to it, make him a little more competitive, mm-hmm. like changing the gears on it, changing the pedals on it, uh, things like that. But the the weight thing, it's, it's something he's going to have to deal with. Yeah. But if he gets really good at a bike that's heavy, going to a light bike, he's going to fly. So. Well, that's cool. I mean, is he excited still about racing again? He, well, now at the end of it, he, he did not like not winning. Yeah. But I think that's great. Yeah. Because this is going to be teaching him how to lose because he's always excelled at everything. Right. Which is definitely not me. So I'm not sure where he's getting this from. <laughs> I mean, I, I usually don't excel in you know, everything I do. I mean, he's good at soccer and ninja and swimming. And man, the list goes on. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but he was pumped. Uh, there was only three people in his class. So typically what this was, and I was talking to Janessa about it, is he's got to get used to this. If there is, say, five or six kids and they run the first race, they cut maybe the last two. Yeah. And they, and they kind of dwindle it down to where you know, the final race is the place for first, second, third, and maybe even fourth. So they may keep four riders at that point. He's got to realize that if he's running it, 
he may not make that second race or that third race. Today, I think it was counterintuitive to that point since there's only three kids. Mm-hmm. All three of them ran all three races and all three placed. Okay. So it was the first, second, and third. And he got the third place trophy. Right. But just the fact that he was holding that trophy and it said third place on it, had the bike on it. Yeah. He, the biggest smile he, I've seen on him in a while. Over the moon. Even as discouraged as he was throughout the race, not winning or not doing really well. Do you think he's going to stick with it long term or is it too early to tell? Uh, He already said he wants to go back. So we'll see how next week goes. And I'm confident enough to go ahead and buy him an actual helmet. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I feel like if I get him the helmet, he'll have his own. They're roughly about $60, so they're not cheap. But I feel more comfortable getting him his own than him using a loaner each week because who knows who's using these loaners and right. how often the insides are clean. They get pretty nasty because he was sweating <laughs> up the storm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he he had he had a good old time doing that. So we'll see where this leads, and uh, we'll kind of kind of go from there, see if there's any emergency room trips in our, in our future, which we avoided today, which I was very happy <laughs> yeah. to see. So good start overall. Oh, yeah, even with a wreck, he got up and walked away from it. I was like, sweet. I mean, I know you've been busy with, you know, getting your house ready. Everything you've been speaking about in the past about, you know, showing it and, and moving here, hopefully, whenever you find a new one. Uh, have you had anything interesting going on? Uh, yeah, we're actually closer now this week than uh, we've taken more steps anyway than we have in the past few months. And the pandemic and uh, our aunt's surgery kind of uh, pushed things back a couple months on us. We were intending to put the house up back in May, but... Now it looks like it's going to be July 1st. Uh, yeah, I mean, we are packing. we got a ton of stuff in storage. Uh, we cleared out most of it. Pretty much all that's left is uh, kind of major furniture. I have uh, the next couple days off while we get new floors put in, new carpet, new uh, floors in the uh, kitchen, laundry room, bathrooms. So that'll be fun trying to like move furniture around all that as that's going on. I'm looking forward to be complete. We actually went to go see a potential new home today, earlier today, and man, it was it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> now, how far is it going to be from where you are now, say, in relative to where I am? Would I go further or would it be shorter of a drive for us? It would actually be shorter. It's probably about a half hour from where we are in southwest Louisville, and it's more towards kind of uh, closer to the city. But, uh, yeah, it's about 20 minutes from my daughter's school, and uh, it's got a finished basement with soundproof walls. Oh, that's awesome. So I intend to set up a podcasting studio and a... Oh, and your arcade. And my arcade and a home theater. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, I already dropped it on Janessa that I'm getting a new desk because I'm tired of sharing my desk with her desk. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's going to be uh, my own setup here eventually. But So potentially, this house that I saw today might be the one. Let's just kind of wait and see. Well, that's awesome. But yeah, that's about it as far as stuff going on this week. I know you and I, once again, we're here right in the middle of our June summer blockbuster retrospective here. Uh, and this week, we watched a couple of uh, hits from the 2000s. How do you like that decade? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had uh, well, one was from, you see, 2001, one was from 2008. Yeah. So we go way back on this first one we're talking about here, way, way back in the 2001 time frame <laughs> after Y2K. <laughs> That's right. A <laughs> couple of sequels, too. I mean, it was weird. We just kind of uh, fell on these two. Yeah, so I chose The Mummy Returns and you chose Hellboy 2. Um, why did you choose Hellboy? I've, I mean, I, I love the movie to start with. So yeah. seeing that it came out in our time frame and met our criteria and everything, uh, for me, it was really a no-brainer. Uh, the Golden Army, I'll stop and watch that, you know, on TNT and TBS. They show it a lot. Uh, I was shocked I didn't own it. I went as far as actually buying it, right. uh, the 4K version of it, which uh, was awesome. So uh, that once I seen that for me, it was easy. Why did you fall into Mummy Returns? You kind of <laughs> shocked me with this one. 
Well, as we're going through these, I wanted to pick some that maybe I hadn't seen in a long time because it's fun to sort of watch a movie that you may have enjoyed at one point, but we haven't watched in a while. And I remember loving the first Mummy. It was kind of a breakout hit. It was very... We all love our mummies. <laughs> Even on Father's Day. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that first one, like it had like groundbreaking special effects and, uh, you know, Brendan Fraser. This was kind of like his peak, his prime, right? Uh, right around the George of the Jungle days, I guess. <laughs> oh, George of the Jungle. Yeah. Holy crap, I forgot about that one. <laughs> uh, Post-Encino Man in the 90s. But um, I don't know. Look, I had fond memories of the first one. And I remember the Scorpion King was about as early 2000s as you could get with The Rock and Godsmack. And I was like, well, Mummy Returns, that's like that's like the, the missing link in between the two. So it's got to be good, right? I remember it being good. But uh, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that tone right there doesn't have me very optimistic on your thoughts of the rewatching the movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, this one here had a, a director that I'm not really familiar with, uh, Stephen Summers. Yeah, so St- Stephen Summers, uh, he directed the first one, The Mummy. Uh, he directed The Jungle Book back in the 90s. Um, Van Helsing, that movie uh, with uh, Hugh Jackman. Um, and he did uh, G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. So really nothing of note then? <laughs> no, man, he worked in the 2000s and he made some kind of very generic action movies and uh, that's about it. Oh, well, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, <laughs> pretty sure he walked away with a nice pocketbook full of money, though. But uh, I'm sure. Uh, let me see here. The score here, Alan uh, Silver Street. Now, this guy here, I, I didn't know his name, but looking at his actual like pedigree on what he did, a few of like, the, the big ones here was Avengers Endgame, Predator, Forrest Gump, Ready Player One. And Back to the Future. Back to the Future, there's another one, yeah. Yeah, one of the movies we've already done, so <laughs> how mm-hmm. dare me not you know, name that one. <laughs> <laughs> so I was impressed on this one here. I had no idea. He's got you know quite a background of movies he's done that are impressive. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, this movie should have been a lot more fun. Um, I don't know what just didn't connect for me. I mean, you have Alan Silvestri, you have Stephen Summers, who did a great job with the first Mummy. I remember liking that quite a bit. I don't think I was really missing out on any kind of in-depth character motivation no. or anything. Like, one of the good things about any sequel is that you get, you get to kind of jump right into it, and you're not, you know, having to spend the time being introduced to the world or the characters. You're already there, right? Yeah. It's a continuing adventure. So that's kind of a perk of a sequel. You just kind of jump right into things. But I don't know, just the movie overall, I, I just, maybe it was the introduction of their kid and just how like. Was it maybe the, the flashback sequences where Evie was actually, what, a nefertiri? A descendant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that whole weird kind of, you know, reincarnated nefertiri situation. Yeah, maybe it was a little bit of that too where, you know, in the first one it was just you know, this uh, adventurer, kind of like an Indiana Jones type, and this woman, this librarian that he meets, that he falls in love with and protects. And they were just kind of like, you know, regular people going against this big supernatural god of, you know, the mummy. (laughs) Um, So there were real stakes there. But this one, well, it turns out that Brendan Fraser's character is actually a descendant of this old, uh, you know, race or this group of people that are protect um, uh, this royal family in Egypt. And uh, then Rachel Weiss's character, Evie, she's another descendant of these actual Egyptian people. So uh, apparently it's it, it was all destined that they'd be together. And, and then it, they kind of lost their specialness. It's like they infused them with specialness. And because of that, it lost how special it was. Yeah, <laughs> it was spe- very weird. Yeah, special because they were you and me right? in the first one. And now that they make them special characters, it kind of loses that that it would well, like a better way of saying a specialness. <laughs> 
Yeah, like who am I relating to anymore? Like who can I put myself in? Because if if they're all kind of you know superheroes in this swashbuckling adventure, it kind of takes away the stakes a little bit. Yeah, no, I'm not relating to Jonathan. You know, her brother. That's <laughs> <laughs> this nibbling little dude. He was funny and all, but uh, he was wearing a little thin uh, this time around. But you know, in this movie, they it, they they did take a while to make the third one. I know that, and um, there were some diminishing returns there, but. You know, you kind of wrote up here on a budget of ninety-eight million, it made four hundred forty-three million back. Apparently, it tricked a bunch of people into seeing it in the theaters. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a summer. T- I mean, you know, that beginning of the summer rush. So I mean, everyone remembered yeah. the first one. So Brendan Fraser was a, a big, you know, name at that point still. So he was putting butts in seats. Yeah. And then if the first one did so well, you know, it's one of those, it's going to be a hit or miss. And most people were hoping on the hit. Yeah. And they were going to spend their money to go ahead and see it and, you know, regardless. Yeah, I think it was riding on that wave of success from the first one. Um, you had all the people back. I mean, the original cast was back. The original director was back. The original composer. Um, and then you added The Rock. This is like his feature film debut. So I think people were probably excited about that, too. Yeah, and they didn't get a whole lot of him. So much, no. I forgot he was even in the movie. Yeah, he's in the very first, like, five minutes as himself, and then he's this god-awful CG creation at the, oh. the climax at the end. Dude, it looked like a PlayStation 2 cutscene. It was rough. <laughs> That's funny. But why not? Let's just kind of go through this here. Was, was there anything in the movie that jumped? I mean, I know you said it was you weren't really too fond of it, but was there any any part of the movie that you, say, did enjoy that you kind of you can pull apart from the movie as a whole? boy i'm struggling here i don't know well maybe i mean i thought the plot was kind of cool um the mummy returns you know just like the name of the film um the the mummy that they vanquished in the first one played by arnold Vosloo. he does a good job and he's menacing and stuff um but uh this time he's he's out to basically steal the army uh, from the Scorpion King, this uh, army of Anubis, all of these, you know, Egyptian dogs with, uh, you know, gold accessories um, that could apparently, you know, wipe out civilization as we know it, uh, which is kind of, you know, very similar to the plot of your film, Hellboy 2, which yeah. I didn't realize getting into these two movies. But uh, raising an army to destroy the world is kind of a uh, theme throughout both of them. Um, so, you know, that was kind of neat. Arnold Vosloo was great. It was just there were a lot of um, repeat action scenes. Uh, like I'm thinking specifically how um, the mummy controls this uh, river, this wave of water going through the canyon. Uh, chasing it was water this time rather than uh, was it? Uh, it was sand the first time. Yeah, yeah. So instead of like them flying a plane through the sand and his face being in the sandstorm, you know, they're flying a dirigible through a canyon and it's water. So it's just like, well, that worked the first time. So let's let's put a CG face in the water and just just do it again. <laughs> or opening the chest and he uh, sucks the faces off people to do. Build himself through again. Yeah, yeah. So the stuff that seemed innovative in the first one, they just kind of repeated in the second one. It just wasn't as cool. <laughs> yeah, there was only, I mean, if I'm looking at like dialogue in the movie, there was one part of it that I liked the most. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were sitting down on the back of the truck and uh, they look at Rick's arm and you know that, that one guy, Aerith or something like that, I can't pronounce his name right. One of the guys that come from the Middle East that are helping. Oh, because. yeah. The guy they partnered up with, played by Oded Fair. Yep. And he says, if I'm, if I'm a stranger from the East seeking what is lost, he said, what was his response be? See, he would reply, I am a stranger traveling from the West, and I am who you seek. I, I thought that was a, a pretty cool line in the movie. But uh, I mean, outside of that, the, the dialogue in the movie, there was nothing really deep, nothing really 
interesting for that for that matter. <laughs> like you were saying, a lot of the, the scenes they kind of pull from the first one. I just kind of like this time frame of movie. Yeah. And this uh and where the movie takes place when they're going to Hamanatra, uh when they're looking at the book of the dead and the book of the life. Right. And but the I think the book of life takes takes life away and the book of the dead gives life. So it just those things by itself and just dealing with Anubis, I find all that fascinating. Now the movie itself failed on many levels. Right. But that genre I, I really enjoy. Oh, me too. Um, you know, I'm thinking of movies, the throwback movies. It, that genre used to be a lot more popular back in like the 30s and 40s and old school serials. That's the reason why Steven Spielberg and George Lucas did the Indiana Jones series, because they wanted to make newer movies that harken back to those old adventure films. And I'm right with you. I mean, that's the reason I kind of love that first Mummy movie, uh, you know, because Brendan Fraser was somewhat charming and believable and kind of a rogue that you wanted to follow. And the Rachel Weisz's character, the librarian, was you know book smart and kind of played off well against his character but now they were just like parents that were like you know smooching each other while they're while they're precocious young boy was like getting into trouble and getting kidnapped and <laughs> twice i think more yeah, than more than one occasion a couple times like the, the parents were canoodling meanwhile the kid is getting picked up and snatched away from him and then they're all like oh goodness uh, how'd that happen <laughs> Like, well, we weren't watching them, and we were trying to yeah, enjoy ourselves. Yeah, maybe because you guys had your faces planted into each other. <laughs> or they're, like, on a bus, you know, firing at mummies that are, you know, climbing on walls. I think I put this yeah. on Twitter. I was like, why the hell are we firing at dead things? How, how are we going <laughs> to kill a dead thing with a gun? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, this one here, I mean, we've done a few movies now. I think this is at the bottom of the list of the movies that we've done. <laughs> yeah. Uh <laughs> Yeah, it's. I regret picking this one. Unfortunately, it is what it is. Like I said, I mean, coming out of this movie, it only really did two things for me. It, it made me want to watch the first Mummy, the one I actually enjoyed, and it made me want to watch The Scorpion King, the movie that came a few years later that actually stars The Rock and has him throughout an entire film. <laughs> I don't even know if I've ever seen The Scorpion King. I think this one here may have turned me off so much <laughs> that uh, I didn't. I never went back to the franchise. Yeah, well, in this movie, the Scorpion King is very much a villain, like he's a conqueror, like Genghis Khan or something, and he comes back as this monster, and um, I think they scrapped a lot of that and really just made a movie where he's more like a Conan-type barbarian that becomes a king um, in the actual Scorpion King film. So they changed a lot of the plot from this movie. If you are into this era of filmmaking and you want to see The Rock kind of play somewhat of a uh, Conan adventurer... Um, I think he could do worse than Scorpion King. Actually, if I'm remembering, it was a lot more fun than this movie. But, you know, on the other hand, I thought I remembered this movie being fun, too. <laughs> <laughs> so the only time will tell. We'll go look at him like, you know, what, dude, you, you recommended this movie. And man, you really uh, you wasted some time in mine. <laughs> I know. Well, look, I mean, here's another thing, too. I mean, the 2000s, we really started to see the launch of the superhero movie as kind of taking Uh, over the summer blockbuster. Um, So, you know, the 2000s was also the decade that gave us Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and, you know, those first Marvel films like Iron Man and... The Hawk. Yeah, so it's like we were starting to really transition out of kind of generic summer blockbusters with original, you know, IP and moving... Well, I'm going to get... I'm I'm probably getting you hit up on this one here, but there's nothing original about the Marvel movies either. (laughs) That's going to hurt me a little bit, but... uh, I mean, well, no, that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, it's all properties now. Like, 
any summer blockbuster now, it's tied into either a superhero franchise that's been in the comic books for 70 plus years, or it's a remake of a television show, or like you don't really get to see these original adventure type films like The Mummy or like Speed or, you know, some of these other ones that aren't tied into an, an already existing property. Yeah, they're not a novel already or a, you know, a comic book or, or something on those lines. Yeah. And we, yeah, we, we've had the, the Lord of the Rings happen and the Harry Potters happen and then all the, you know, the Marvel movies happen. So it kind of falls into what you're saying here. Yeah, so I mean, I guess less said about The Mummy Returns, the better. I, honestly, I just, you know, I hate to beat up on the film, but I think uh, the one you chose... Maybe a, maybe we should just wrap this up. <laughs> what, do you, what the hell do you think I'm doing right now? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. Yeah, I, I think we should. Let's okay. wrap this mummy up. <laughs> okay, oh, well, on that note, uh, the second one we have here, the, uh, the Hellboy... To the Golden Army, man. It, I think this movie here made that second movie, The Mummy Returns, look so much worse than, than yeah. maybe even it really should have looked. Because I mean, this one here, the visuals are amazing. The character building, in my opinion, is off the charts. You care about everyone throughout the movie. I mean, even from I don't want to say caretaker, but the director guy, uh, Tom Manning. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but. Uh, this one here came out uh, July 11th, so I mean, smack in the middle of the the time frame we're looking here in, in 08. Uh, Budget-wise, $85 million, And I mean, compared to the other one, which blows my mind, this one only, only made $168 million. Now, I say only. I mean, the, like you said, The Mummy Returns went ahead and made $443 million. Yeah. And I think these, these movies are on different levels. And they may be on different levels because they have different staying power. Yeah. I think that kind of may have something to do with it. And I, I think these movies as well actually grew a following after they were in the theater themselves. Yeah, I got to agree with you. I mean, I think as far as imagination, I think as far as actual like uh, director prowess and talent, um, even the cast. I mean, I think everything in this sequel, Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, uh, just really outshines The Mummy Returns. And you're right, but it's, you know, money-wise, you wouldn't say that because, you know, The Mummy Returns quadrupled its budget uh, while basically uh, Hellboy 2 uh, doubled its budget, which in these days they spend so much money on marketing that honestly to break even you have to double your budget as far as uh, money coming back to you for the studio. So this one just kind of barely broke even here. That may be a big reason why there was no Hellboy 3, even though I really wanted one. Well, there was a new Hellboy that was just released not that long ago, but it wasn't done by the director, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Uh, there was rumors a long time that he was going to do a third movie, because they kind of set it up a little bit by the way this movie ends, and he just kept on kind of putting it off and putting it off, and then eventually he came out and said, I'm just not doing it. Yeah. And I think that's when it passed a buck to uh, the, the next group of people that would have had to put the new one out. I think it came out last year. Yeah. But it, it, it had a very similar feel to it. I think it was a little darker than uh, the one that came out here or Hellboy or Hellboy 2, The Golden Army. But, I mean, if you look at Guillermo del Toro, I mean, most people, you say that name and you're in the movies, you know this guy here. Uh, he's he's man, put his name on quite a few different things. Yeah, he does quite a few movies that are out there that uh, I, I really enjoy. So I, I'm a huge fan of the Pacific Rim movies. Oh, yeah. He's got his name on that, the original Hellboy, Golden Army here. Uh, obscure one here. I mean, you have to really know 
yet be willing to read subtitles. Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's Labyrinth was an amazing movie. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, if, if you're like a, a big movie buff and movie fan, you don't need any real introduction to Del Toro. Yeah. He's he's a well-known you know, director out there. Yeah, Guillermo Del Toro is like, he's a visionary director. He's almost like the like a Tim Burton or Steven Spielberg where his movies have a, have a very specific feel to them. Like uh, when you watch it, you're like, oh, this feels like a Guillermo Del Toro movie. Kind of the same way you feel about those other directors like i wish he would make more stuff honestly like uh, i feel like he's kind of lightened the load bit as far as his workload recently as he's past few years but uh yeah great director i almost feel like it makes his movies even more special when he does yeah. put his name on something you know it's not just something you know to put more money in his pockets that's something that he's willing to put his name on that's true yeah and speaking of uh tim burton movies we've got uh danny elfman uh, tim burton's favorite composer here doing the score yeah, there's another name. I mean, you look at this. I mean, the director, the you know, person who does the score. I mean, it's it's all there. I mean, we have Danny Elfman. I mean, obviously, Nightmare Before Christmas, Men in Black, Stranger Things 3, Batman Returns. I mean, he's, I mean, that, that's just a small glimpse. I mean, there were so many options like that he's actually had his, uh, dipped his feet into. So like Independence Day and, say, Top Gun, they had a huge, you know, cast that's well known. This one here, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying anyone may have been really big. I mean, Ron Perlman uh, may have been, you know, more so known, but uh, I, I can't say I knew any of these people prior to that. I mean, even Seth MacFarlane, I knew barely. Yeah, a lot of them are kind of more character actors like Ron Perlman. Um, I watched him for years and years on Sons of Anarchy. Um, and I remember even watching him play the Beast on the old uh, 1980s TV show Beauty and the Beast with Linda Hamilton. Like he goes way back. He's got a very unique face, Ron Perlman. Um, <laughs> hellboy <this> <laughs> Yeah, very much. Um, Selma Blair was a you know huge popular actor in the 90s. She was kind of in a lot of like teen comedy kind of stuff. Doug Jones is a guy where you probably don't recognize him, his face, but he's been in so many of these movies where it takes like a physical role or he's in like heavy makeup. He was in this, of course, as uh, Abe Sabian. He played the Silver Surfer in uh, Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. And I don't know. He's just he's one of the most famous people as far as doing like physical like motion capture stuff and in this one it's funny i think the first hellboy they had david hyde pierce do his voice um and he was gone in this movie they just had doug jones do the voice himself for ape sabian i mean this movie here i mean it's there's a lot to it it's one of those movies you really can't stray away from because if you do stray too far and now just aren't paying attention, you can absolutely miss pieces and then have to kind of pause it and then rewind it back. I mean, even the beginning of the movie, it gets into, you know, uh, the need for, you know, the Golden Army. How, like, the, the army of men kind of rolled over the goblins and, uh, and elves. Right. So they had a goblin uh, blacksmith master go ahead and make this 70 times 70 mechanical army. Basically beat the humans and they they, they slaughtered them. But then the uh, the... Dolph King was even sadder that that took place, and he split that crown into three, which controls the army. And they kept two pieces, and they gave one to the humans, so no one could actually ever, right. you know, control this golden army again. Yeah, what I really liked about this movie, like we kind of already mentioned, the bad guy is trying to take control of this ancient army and unleash it against mankind. Um, but I gotta say, this villain was far more interesting than the Mummy and the Mummy Returns. This guy was like, I, I believed he believed in what he was doing. And I believed that he was willing to make the sacrifice, and he just wasn't like one note. Like this guy, 
was very much like, you know, talking with Hellboy in some scenes and really getting close to convincing Hellboy that, you know, Hellboy was more like him than he was the human. And he really wasn't far off by that, you know, that thinking. Yeah. I mean, he he was, he's one of those bad guys in these movies that are, that can be very dangerous because he's, he's not stupid. Yeah. He's very calculated in what he's doing. Even as far as when he went ahead and went into the, uh, you know, the throne room of with his father, mm-hmm. and when his father actually went ahead and sentenced him to death, he went ahead and basically took on the whole army there and took them all out and then killed his own father for the peace. And you could tell he felt bad about it. This isn't just like a typical standard, I'm evil bad guy. Like he killed his father, but he was like, I wish I wouldn't have had to do that for my mission. <laughs> he like he felt it. Yeah, you see, basically he said his father has grown weak over time. Yeah. And how the humans have been destroying the Earth, and you know they should be able to control that. I mean, then his sister, the twin sister, that, and at this point in the movie, we don't really know the the full tie between the two. Right. But we find out later that there's like some like link between the two, where when one goes somewhere, the other one knows where they are, and if one gets hurt, the other one feels it as well, which is a whole other dynamic of the movie, which I found extremely interesting. Yeah, I did too. I mean, as far as the plot, as far as the antagonists in this movie, we've got Prince Nuada, who is the uh, kind of you know the quote unquote bad guy that we've been talking about, played by Luke Rose, his twin sister, Princess Nuala, who uh, Abe Sabian kind of falls in love with throughout the movie. So you've got all these kind of different interacting character plot and and developments. Uh, You've got Selma Blair's character, Liz Sherman and Ron Perlman's Hellboy. You know, they're not doing so well in the beginning of the movie. They kind of came together at the end of the first Hellboy. But now you can tell they're just kind of driving each other crazy (laughs) because, you know, they want different things. And, well, Hellboy's not an easy guy to live with, I guess. (laughs) Well, I think we find out a little later as well that I think the reason that they're having a rough time is like, you know, most people, when you find out you're pregnant, your wife has all these hormone spikes and I'm going to get myself (laughs) in trouble. (laughs) And us guys have no clue what to look for, and she doesn't know how to respond or tell Hellboy that he's going to become father. Yeah, that was a big deal and a huge revelation for Hellboy towards the end of the film. Did you catch when Abe put his hand on uh, Liz's belly and then yep. found out himself? Yeah, yeah, he was surprised, and he, he was kind of holding on to that nugget of information throughout the film until it finally... No, he ne- no, he never spilled no, it. No, he, ne- he never spilled the beans. He got very close when they were uh, drunk and... Uh, after the whole scene when they were in that one room and yeah. when they were all you know having a beer and that song came on, I Can't Smile Without You. Right. That was one of the more enjoyable parts of the movie for me. Yeah. It was because it was showing these two creatures almost be human-like. Like they're going through things and they're very relatable at this point. Yeah. One can't figure out what's going on with his, you know, his significant other at all. Right. And then the other one is falling for somebody that he's never, he feels a connection to that he's never felt before. And he doesn't know how to, you know, express that. Yeah. And, um, you know, Hellboy or AKA Red and Abe, AKA Blue, that's what they call each other. I mean, these two are like brothers. They were pretty much kind of like raised by father in, in the first movie. And they feel like brothers. They're that close. They're kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum. One's just like brilliant and empathetic and caring and very insightful and the other one's just like this brash <laughs> hard He's head. An oaf. Yeah. <laughs> but they work very well together and that's why they are together and they take care of each other. So they kind of hit rock bottom in this moment uh, where they get drunk together and they just, you know, they wish father was there. So it's hugely relatable. Yeah, no, they wind up in uh, the bedroom where, you know, Liz is at and they're talking. He's like, hey, Red, Red I, I know what's bothering her. <laughs> <laughs> he- then she wakes up and someone pulls the alarm and 
Next thing you know, you know, Prince Nawada's in there and they're fighting, you know, in that library room. Yeah, and that's what I liked about this movie, too. I mean, sure, there were some um, well-choreographed fight scenes. There were some big action set pieces. But it seemed like, you know, The Mummy Returns had those as well. But it seemed like the stakes just weren't there. Every time that a character fought in Hellboy 2, every time that they had a big action set piece, they also infused it with drama, with character arcs. Um, you know, the whole thing, that huge scene where uh, Prince Nawada unleashes that uh, forest elemental that starts terrorizing the city. And of course, it's a huge epic you know, fight scene with Hellboy taking him down. But within that scene, he's having that conversation with Prince Nuana about like what Hellboy is actually what side Hellboy is fighting for and whether he should be fighting for it. And at the end, when he does take down that forest elemental, you know, the humans basically throw rocks at him and think that he's trying to harm a baby. And it's just like, what am I doing this for? Like just the drama. There was like there was action, but there was also drama to follow it to really kind of keep you in the moment. Yeah, to add some more to that scene you were just speaking of, though. Uh, while he's holding that baby up on like the sign, that neon sign, and he's got ready, he's got big baby out ready, you <laughs> yeah. know, to uh, shoot this uh, forest elemental. Uh, Prince Noada basically tells him, he said, you know, if you kill this thing, this is the last of its kind. There'll never be another one like it. Yeah, just like you, just like me. Yeah, so you start seeing that uh, those those wheels turning in his head. He was getting to him. Oh yeah, he was really starting to get in his head. Am I doing the right thing? Am I defending the right set of people when they don't want me? That's the most. That's basically the core of these two movies of Hellboy one and two. Is he wants to be accepted right. by everybody else? So he's always finding. He's purposely putting himself into the tabloids. Yeah. So they can see him. So he can, you know, relate to them and everything. And, you know, Tom Manning uh, is his character. You know, is basically doing everything in his power to keep him out of the media. And then he basically roasted his career when he started doing <laughs> interviews. Yeah, he sure as heck did. I mean, I think this is a great companion to the first movie. If you guys haven't seen the Hellboy movies or if your only knowledge of Hellboy is this latest one with David Harbour that apparently was not that good at all, which was kind of a, a redo. It was like uh, it wasn't a, a sequel to these two. Go do yourself a favor and watch these first two Hellboy movies because Guillermo del Toro does just a masterful job of creating a a world that is just enthralling, and Ron Perlman is so good in the role. But, uh, yeah, I mean, how do they defeat uh, Prince Nawada in this movie? Well, basically, uh, Nawada goes ahead when they're in that library. He stabs Hellboy with that, basically his spear, Yeah, and they, they couldn't get it out of him. Every time they touched it, every time Abe touched it, it went further and closer and closer to his heart. Right. So they had to find, you know, where this golden army was to go ahead and catch up with Nuwata to go ahead and have him, re you know, remove it. So when they basically take a plane against, you know, without any clearance and, and then, you know, Johann Strauss basically you know, ask if they have clearance. And then eventually he's like, you know, I'm coming with you. And then they, they, they go to where this island where, you know, the golden army is and they meet up with this, what is like a, a kind of half goblin is kind of in like a carriage type setup. Yeah, I think he was, and I think it was maybe one of the last survivors of the last time that this Golden Army wreaked havoc um, on the, the Goblin world. Yeah, he said, he said something to the extent of when he was go they were going in there to go ahead and undo what he did. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they're going in there and meeting him in the throne room, and Abe actually has the third piece of the crown, and nobody knows Abe has it. Right, he keeps it a secret. Yeah, he's trying to save his girl. Right. So he gives it to Nuada. Willingly. Yeah, with no problem whatsoever, and they're all like, yeah. dude! That moment of the movie, I was like, oh no, Abe, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, everything for a little booty. I mean... <laughs> but, oh. but uh, yeah, no, now you know, Prince Nuada has the crown. He puts it on, puts it all together, and he basically says he is who he is. He's a royal blood. Yep. 
and he has the ability to go ahead and rule the Golden Army. If anyone you know challenges him, uh, speak up, and no one at that time does. So they go out and they're starting Golden Army's out there, and they're starting to fight him. And Johann Kraus goes into one of them and starts doing his thing. For some reason, it turns blue. uh yeah but they're like trashing these uh these big you know robot like mechanical uh golden army and you think like okay well maybe this isn't going to be so bad at at all um you know they may have the numbers against them there's a lot more of these things but it seems like they're getting through these guys they're kind of tearing them to pieces um and then once they think the fight is kind of over these things start pulling themselves back together and uh, i think we get an oh crap from (laughs) help Yeah, no, that's that was actually pretty fun. And then all of a sudden, he does something. He pulls a card out of his playbook that not everyone was ready for. And he said he challenged Nuwata because he knows he's actually of royal blood, too. Yep. So he has the, the authority to challenge him to you know rule the army. And then uh, his sister, uh, Princess Nuwala, goes ahead and, and verifies it. So he has to actually fight you know, for the right for the army. Yeah, so they have this uh, kind of epic one-on-one duel between uh, the, the prince there and Hellboy. Uh, which was gr- just a great set piece, like how Hellboy was kind of ducking throughout the, the gears, you know, disappearing in one spot and coming up in another spot. Uh, he got the upper hand on Prince Nwana. He actually defeated him one-on-one and took control of this army. And Prince Nwana was going to basically do the old cheap shot at the end while Hellboy's back was turned. He was going to stab him in the back. But at that point... We And we, you could kind of see this coming, the fact that these twins could uh, feel each other's pain and feel each other's injuries. At that point, the princess actually, you know, does a <laughs> knife through her own gut uh, to stop the prince, and they, they both end up dying. Yeah, she falls on the sword, which takes him out, too. Yeah. No, it was when, yeah, you, when you mentioned that he finally defeated him, he was holding in, you know, his kind of spear or his weapon to Nawada's throat. Mm-hmm. And what I was like, kill me, because I'm never going to stop. Right. So he kind of knew, you know, he, he warned him. He said, you know, if you don't do it, I'm going to keep coming for this crown. And I'm going to get you eventually. And I think his sister took that warning to heart. And that's when she uh, went ahead and, like I said earlier, fell on her sword to go ahead and take out her brother. Yeah. And after these twins are kind of fallen, Liz, thank goodness, has the wherewithal to grab that crown from Hellboy and just burn it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> melt it. So uh, all the entire Golden Army just kind of shuts down. Yeah, because Hellboy actually had a thought of putting it all. <laughs> he did. You I seen mean, it run through his mind. Yeah, but that's kind of his his struggle throughout the entire movie. Both these movies, like you mentioned, it's like sometimes it's like, what am I doing this for? <laughs> we skipped a, a very, very vital portion of the movie, though. When they first got back to the island and that uh, that goblin took him to like the soothsayer to go ahead and remove that piece of uh, the shiny object from his chest. (laughs) Basically, the soothsayer looked at Liz and said, either he's going to destroy the earth. That's his that's his destiny. Yeah. He's going to be the destruction of the earth. Either you can let him die and you can stop that from happening or you can save him and you're going to suffer more than anybody. Yeah. And she went ahead and obviously saved him and removed it, but said, then you have to now give him something to live for. And that's when she revealed to him that he's going to become father. And you kind of seen that in his eyes. Yeah, that really kind of lifted him up and put him back and set him back on the right path. Yeah. I thought I thought it was cool. Now I'm going to become I'm becoming a father. I became father. Yeah. It's kind of how he addressed, you know, his dad is now that he realizes that's him now. Yeah, turns out it was a uh, good movie to watch on Father's Day apparently. <laughs> but yeah, that was an awesome movie. And at the very end of it after they defeat him they come out and, you know, hand Tom Manning all their weapons and everything and so you know, we all quit and they all walk away. Yeah, they quit. I mean, they leave this movie in such an interesting way to where there's all these threads that they could um, take and pick up in a third movie. So you've got all four of our main BPRD characters, right? We've got Hellboy, Abe, Liz, and Eve 
even Strauss, they uh, they quit and they're like ready to move on outside of BPRD. And, you know, you have, like you were mentioning, the, the soothsayer that kind of gave this prophecy of Hellboy actually bringing destruction to the world. You've got the, the twins, apparently, that are going to be born. Um, uh, apparently, Liz is pregnant with not only one kid, but two. But two. And, uh, you know, he wants to go live out in the country and get away from the city. So... You, you could have picked up a, a, a Hellboy 3 with so many different possibilities. I would have, I mean, I would have loved it if they went to the future and they dealt with his future. What he was destined to do with him, you know, possibly destroying the Earth. Yeah. Uh, that that would have been the third movie I would have liked to have seen. Because you would have seen the very beginning when they found him in World War Two. Right. You know, and then his life in the modern time. Yep. And then fast forward to when he actually fulfilled, you know, what his destiny was. Disappointingly, we'll never get that third Del Toro movie with Ron Perlman to kind of complete that trilogy. I think that would have been great, but I don't think it's ever going to I never say never anymore. Well, yeah. If they keep, if, if they keep you know, on them and the fans of some of these, definitely this franchise here right. can are so diehard if they keep asking make it known that it's it's wanted and if he finds a studio that will give him the freedom to do you know what the movie would you know actually be able to justify the movie that may be one of the problems the movie needs to be something that some studios may not be comfortable with yeah so i mean that that may be a part of it as well he wants to make sure that he has final say on everything and not you know, whoever the studio is going to be. There you go. We've got our two summer blockbusters from the 2000s. One stinker and one pretty darn good one. Yeah. And uh, we're moving on to the next decade here to, to finish out our June blockbuster month. But yeah, it's a good point then there. Now, I mean, going reaching out, you know, guys, we're active on Twitter. I went ahead and I put the poll out there to see, you know, what movie was, you know, more preferred. And actually, I was I was surprised. Uh, it, Hellboy won, but not like the by the landslide I was expecting. Oh, really? It was like six. It was like 60 40 oh wow i mean it was uh significantly closer than i thought it was and at one point it was split yeah so i was like no this this can't be right come on guys watch hellboy <laughs> i'm wondering if folks are having the same issue that i had where i had fond memories of the first mummy and then fond memories of scorpion king and just thought it was the same movie <laughs> <laughs> we'll give them a little bit of you know benefit of the doubt here but they did pick the proper movie, so we'll, we'll roll with that. But uh, also on uh, on Twitter here, we went ahead and I mean, you guys are you're killing it out there for us. I mean, we got we hit 500 followers uh, a couple of days ago, and I went ahead and put it out there. I wanted to you know give a shout out to the person that was our 500 follower, and that wound up being a Rebecca T. Kaplan. Basically, her page says she's an awkward uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, she does you know regular shows. She's on Twitter. She actually has a live show. I think she does on YouTube as well. So uh, go ahead and you know check her out. I mean, we really appreciate her being the 500 and. Uh, Hopefully we can continue doing this, you know, 600, 700, the sky's the limit, really. So we appreciate her and then, you know, the rest of you guys that are looking us up, listening to us and uh, following my, you know, my garbage I put on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Rebecca, thank you for being that 500th follower. And uh, guys, check out her stand up. So, no, I think it's a good point to go ahead and jump into that trash truck and cruise right into that cheesy. (laughs) Let's do it. Okay, so I've got one here this week that is revolving around the stinker movie, Mummy, but not so much the mummy, just a mummy type character. Okay. So, did you hear about the, the sore mummy? Uh, no. He needed to go to the chiropractor. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, yeah, we we had a couple of stinkers, a couple of crickets last week. Yeah, last week was bad. <laughs> yeah, it was rough. But uh, uh, all right, so that was good. Let me let me give you mine. Uh, what did the daddy buffalo say to its son before it left for school? No idea. Bye, son. 
Uh, I feel like I should have seen that one coming, but I <laughs> you really should've. didn't. Yeah, you really should have. Bison. All oh right. man, that's uh, that that's that's good. Uh, <laughs> now that we're in that cheesy, <laughs> so next week is actually going to be our last week of countdown. So we're going to be going into the 2010s to current movies here. Um, we'll go ahead and we'll post them on the uh, Twitter and let them let you guys know exactly what movies we're going to be picking. This one's going to be a little more difficult because I think we've both been making a conscious effort to avoid Star Wars movies or Marvel movies or you know Lord of the Ring right. type movies. This decade here is just littered with them. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we'll do our best you know, to keep up with a little more obscure movies that you know still fall into our you know our criteria. It still has to be a summer blockbuster, but we'll find some movies that are fun to talk about and you guys can maybe check out later as well. Yeah. So that being said, be sure to check out dadnarock.com. You can always find our latest episodes. You can find links to all our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I have some new pictures on there, uh, Father's Day-related Instagram pictures. Be sure to check us out. Do you want a drink? No, my body's a temple. Well, it's an amusement park now. (laughs) 